0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer of Limits of In Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go. Oh, ah! Don't worry. Don't be afraid ever, because this is just a ride. You're you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening everyone and welcome to the Out of the Limits of Minute Truth Radio Show. Out of LimitsRadio.com. I'm your host Ryan. Tonight's show is dedicated to Lisa McNorton and her family. So if you hear that name Lisa McNorton, visualize it, hear it in your mind. Please send her and her family love and peace and prayers. They definitely need it right now. Before we begin we have an amazing featured guest and he is somebody who is has helped a lot of people transform themselves for the better. I would consider him to be a, a light warrior and a leader and a teacher. I'm so blessed that we have him on our show. But before we start the interview, I don't know if you're looking around the world lately. You know, we see that it's uh, going a certain direction. But I don't believe that we have to go the same way the whole world is. I don't follow the collective norm. I don't believe that there there is anything called a social norm anymore. So for all of you that are out there that are doing your own thing, I say continue to do it if it's bringing you peace and continue to be strong. And also, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people, uh, maybe they struggle or they can't get out of a, a dark place is because they're not allowing themselves to access other information. When I was in the darkest point of my entire life, I only got out of it because I was willing to be open to new information, not new ideologies or not new uh, gurus or anything about that, but open to new information and open to new tools for transformation. So when people listen to the show every week, We try to give as many tools as possible, new tools, new wisdom, new pieces of information that you can utilize and transform your lives. That being said, let us begin tonight's show. It is a great honor to welcome to our show a gentleman whose work I'm very familiar with and uh, his work I've been reading for a long period of time. John Perkins. He's an author and activist whose 10 books on global intrigue, shamanism, and transformation, including his newest book called Touching the Jaguar, have been bestsellers for more than 70 weeks. He's sold over 2 million copies and are published in 35 different languages. There's so much to discuss here, but you can learn more about Mr. Perkins by going to his website at johnperkins.org. Mr. Perkins, welcome to our show. Thanks so much, Ryan, and, and please call me John. My dad was
0: Mister Perkins, and he's gone now,
1: so I don't want to be confused. Got it. <laughs> well, do. <All> right. <laughs> the book that really I'd say that blew me away was "Confessions of an Economic Hitman." And when I'm looking at the book, that one of the first people that popped in mind, was thinking about Smedley Butler. How Smedley Butler was—you know—the military was. He said, "He, he said, that, okay, well, none of these wars are worth it. Like I'm just acting on behalf of interest." And some of these books you're talking about, is that. You're working on behalf of a lot of these corporate interests. Can you please explain what some of your main goals were as an economic hitman?
0: Sure. And, and, you know, I would say in in, in reference to to Smedley Butler and and, uh, others, there have been a lot of people. Joe Stiglitz, who's a former uh, chief economist at the World Bank and Nobel Prize winner in in economics, uh, says a lot of the same things I do about how, we use these studies. We use economics. Uh, we use these things to exploit other countries. A lot of these other people write, like like, like Stiglitz writes, very academic uh, sort of stuff that's used a lot in business schools, so it doesn't reach the general public quite as much. I think what's what's you know what's what's made the difference in some respects with my books is I, I is I tell them the stories, the true stories. But I like to talk about my conversations with presidents and and leaders around the country and the way I I, I bribe them and and threaten them, and, and that, that gets to the essence wow. Of, of, wow. All, of all of this. It, my title, actually, was chief economist. I uh, in a major international consulting firm out of Boston, Charles T. Maine. Uh, and, uh, but I had a staff of uh, anywhere from 30 to 50 people at different times. My job was really to identify countries that had resources that corporations wanted, like oil and then arrange huge loans to those countries from the World Bank or its sister organizations and Wall Street. But the money never actually went to the countries. It went to our own U.S. corporations that made huge profits building infrastructure projects in those countries, like electric power systems, highways, ports, uh, industrial parks, things that benefited the, the very wealthy families in those countries. The ones that own the industries, that own the commercial establishments that benefited from these projects, as well as making huge profits for our our corporations. And in the beginning, I thought what I was doing was the right thing, because economic models are rigged to show that when you invest that money, the economy grows. It does. The GDP grows. But over time, I began to see that the GDP only reflects how the very wealthiest families are doing. And incidentally, that's true in the United States today, too. If you look at our country, we, we know there's three individuals that have as much wealth as half the population of the United States. If those three individuals made a 10% return on their investments last year, and the, and the rest of the country, and half the country, lost 3%, lost 3%, we'd still show a GDP growth of something around 5%. So over time, I began to see that, that these statistics were, were really, a, a per, they created a perception that we were helping the country in total, but in fact, we were only helping the rich. And the other aspect of that is that the, 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 the rest of the population, the middle class and, and below, were suffering because money was diverted from education, healthcare, and other social services uh, to pay off the service, to pay off the interest uh, on the debt. And so I really began to see that. And another dark aspect, Ryan, of all of this is that these presidents knew that if they accepted the loans from me, they and their families would do well, and their their friends, families, the, the rich people. They also knew that if they didn't play the game, people we call the jackals would go in. And these were people that either overthrow governments or assassinate their leaders. And, of course, there's a long history of that, including Allende of Chile and Arbenz of Guatemala and Lumumba of the Congo and the Yem of Vietnam and most of of Iran, and on and on and on and on and on. There's a long history of leaders, both from the right wing and the left wing, that have been overthrown because they didn't play the
1: game with us or assassinated. Well, you know, based on, I mean, I've read about these instances where these governments have had a lot of instability. Do you see right now in the U.S. that a lot of the instability that is happening is a direct result of maybe some of the politicians or leaders that are not playing the games, that these jackals are from international corporations that have decided, well, if the U.S. doesn't bend to our will right now, we have no allegiance to any country and we want this to happen and we're going to send these people in in order to stabilize the U.S. So you know, we'll teach them a lesson. I'm you know, wondering okay. if the same thing is coming back to us right now.
0: Yeah, this is a, this is a, uh, a you know, it's a very complex subject. I, I, I write about it in this most recent book, uh, Touching the Jaguar with the subtitle transforming fear into action to change our life in the world, which is really this whole idea of transformation. How do we make transformation? You know, human reality, is really dependent on human perceptions. Uh, there, there, there is no Russia or China or the United States. There are no cultures. There's no religion. There's no corporations except as we perceive them. And when enough people accept a perception, are codified into law, it has a huge impact on reality. And unfortunately, beginning with the time I was an economic hitman back in the seventies, and up through today, and especially after détente, after the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991 the United States and our corporations we, we made some big mistakes and this whole idea of sending in people to kill or overthrow governments building US military bases on foreign soil etc it, it turned a lot of people off in many of these countries and yet we were we were this whole superpower and so uh, you know and 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 the other thing is Throughout the world, Americans are loved and everyone wants to live in the United States because of of our lifestyles and and, and the the freedom of press we have and so on and so forth. But at the same time, our policies were were, uh, disturbing a lot of people. And then suddenly China emerges. And it really blindsided us. We were so deeply involved after 9-11 in in Afghanistan and and all over the Middle East that we didn't notice In a way, our policymakers didn't notice the incredible rise of the Chinese. And the Chinese, I think, have learned from our mistakes. They're building this, what's called this new Silk Road, the the, the Belt and Road Initiative, that is a transportation system that reaches around the world. It's on the land all over Europe and Asia and India and so forth. And also across the sea is building ports in all over Latin America and Africa. And the Chinese have, I think, learned that it doesn't pay to build military bases on foreign soil. Of course, with the exception of ones right around their own territory, like Taiwan and and the South China Sea and and Tibet. But elsewhere, they're not doing that. And they're being very careful not to mix in politics. They're not overthrowing leaders or assassinating them. Uh, But they are exploiting these countries hugely through debt and through, through finance. So, They've taken the whole economic hitman concept to new levels. Uh, I I think they learned a tremendous amount from both our successes and our mistakes. So the United States has has been in a period of decline. At the same time, China's in a period of of ascendancy. And I'm disturbed to see that
1: happening. And One of the reasons I write these books is because I I want
0: us to understand what's going on so
1: that we can turn things back around. I love to turn things back around. And I'm... One of the things I've been actually seeking you out, trying to get your perspective on is where the current financial system is heading because I've really been researching this and I've been reading about from Martin Armstrong talking about the, it's called, something called the fourth uh, industrial revolution. And there's apparently going to be a planned uh, collapse of the economy, global economy, and they want to push everyone onto this tech grid. And the quick synopsis is that they want everyone to be cashless and everyone's going to have some kind of mark inside yeah. them and you'll be, you won't be—you will even have to use your credit card. You'll be able to just go someplace, use your fingerprint and access certain things. However, at the same time, with all that power being diverted into so few hands, basically we're going to live in some kind of techno tyranny. And then I also hear from a handful of other people that say, okay, when we have a system where the dollar is no longer valid as the world's reserve currency because it's been printed into oblivion and lose all of its purchasing power, then what that's going to do is that's going to provide maybe once in a, um, a lifetime generations or time where we'll probably be able to have some freedom. Maybe the elites won't be able to control everything. Maybe the outrage is going to be so strong. From all of your years and your experience, where do you see things headed for? Do you think that humanity is going to uh, get caught up in this web and be forever locked into this techno grid known as the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which some people say? Do you think that there will be a collapse, of the world's reserve currency, which in turn could disrupt all other fiat-based currencies, which in turn could actually decentralize a lot of power, and maybe the pain and suffering from that will cause... A renaissance of returning to the old ways. So I'm curious how you see it.
0: Well, Ryan, I wish I had a crystal ball. I, I <laughs> certainly want to see see the latter. You know, I, I think there's no question that we're moving into the technology age, and and I think this um, this uh, pandemic that we've been going through is is pushing us more and more in that direction. Uh, we're seeing that the you know we, we were already seeing before the pandemic that we are moving in a new direction, and we had to. We've actually created what, what I and other economists refer to as a death economy, an economic system that's based on maximizing short-term profits, very short-term profits, regardless of the social and environmental costs. And we've seen the glaciers melting and the oceans rising and so on and so forth. And um, we know that that system has given us tremendous benefits over the years there's no question it's been a great system but like all systems it's reached a limit and we've seen that we need to move into what economists refer to as the life economy an economic system that's based on maximizing long-term benefits for people and nature for that matter Because who are we without without, without air and water you know? uh, So. So we we, we and, and all of it's based on a perception. as how do you look at success? Is success measured in the short term, or is it measured in the long term? And throughout most of human history, the 250 thousand years we've been human beings, it's been measured in the long term. You know the infamous, uh, the famous uh, seventh generation. I, I've lived with a lot of indigenous people around the world. I, I don't know any of you that look seven generations out, but I know they all look look one or two generations out. And and only it's been only within the blink of history really that we've we've uh, we've focused on this short term idea what's the stock market doing today <laughs> you know and and gobbling up in the short term our corporations destroy gobble up the resources that they need in the long term it isn't it, it, it isn't working any longer and so we need to move into this vision of a of a future where we where we really plan for long term survival and I think this coronavirus has pushed us more and more in that direction. Part of that involves uh, the, the tech world, as we've seen, where, where, where I don't have to fly to, to you to talk to you. We can talk on the phone. We can talk on Zoom. We can have meetings across the planet. We can have thousands of people involved in meetings from all over the globe just by sitting in front of our computer in our home. And so I, I have no doubt that that's here to stay. And the real question I think you're asking is, what do we do with? That? <laughs> and and that that based on the on the on the mindset that we we have the perception we have, if we allow ourselves to move into perception where we're going to let this technology be controlled by a few individuals, an oligarchy, let's call it a, a you know a corporatocracy, and that's has begun to happen. I mean, we've seen the power of people that control uh, the internet, for example, recently. If if we If we allow that to happen without taking control of it in some way, without setting some boundaries around it, uh, yes, it could be very dire. On the other hand, if we insist on being the democracy that the United States was created to be uh, back 250 years ago, and where we we set up systems that allow the people to have a greater voice in this, I think we can look toward toward a very glorious future, frankly. But it depends on us. It depends on our perceptions and then the actions we take to set those perceptions in, into a motion that creates a reality that will benefit all of us.
1: I'd love to have a beautiful perception, but it's, I believe that you, correct me if I'm wrong when did you not say at one point that perception of money is, also has to do a lot with how we feel uh, inside and just curious. But if you, because I know you're sensitive, individual, if you're looking at the global economy right now, and you see that people have a form of currency and that currency becomes diminished with every passing day because they keep on replicating it. I almost wonder if that, like, that is something that's part of the enslavement because people have something and they're working for it and they're working for the harder for the less. And I wonder if that's part of the enslavement. And I wonder if that were to go away mm-hmm. suddenly, that would liberate us in some capacity and bring us towards a life economy where people would be able to work Probably able to have an increased purchasing power with whatever you're doing because you're not trading or exchanging your labor or goods or services for a depreciating currency which is being manipulated and being stolen. So, do you think that that is part of it? I'm wondering if that is maybe the, the Achilles heel of this whole uh, death economy, which is fiat currencies and fractional reserve banking. Yes,
0: yeah, so there's no question that a currency that's based on death, and in the case of the Federal Reserve—it's is a private corporation that's incurring this debt. Debt enslaves us. Uh, there's no question about it. And, and and that's that was one of the tools that I used as an economic hitman. Put these countries in deep debt, and then they're they owe you. They they are they're slaves. You know, it's it's the old mafia thing. You know, like okay, Joe. You know, like I'll give you the money to pay for your daughter's wedding, but <laughs> you owe me. <laughs> you know, next time I want to have somebody's knees broken. I'll call on you, that kind of thing, you know. And so, yeah, debt, debt inflates us. There's no question that a currency that's based on debt uh, is, is, uh, can, can cause these kind of problems. And uh, I'm very concerned right now that uh, this country, the United States and many other countries, but let's talk about the United States, we've taken on huge debts to, to help uh, move us through this, this pandemic crisis. I'm not sure we've had a big alternative, but how are we going to deal with that massive debt? Are we going to continue to tax the middle and poor classes at a much, really at a much higher rate than the wealthy and the corporations? Or are we going to demand that the people who benefit most from from all of these investments that the government's making, from all these payments it's making, uh, help to 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 pay that back. That's a, that's, a, that's a big question that we're going to have to address when we pull through this pandemic.
1: Awesome. Uh, thank you for your answer. And One of the things I love about your book, Shapeshifting Techniques for Global Personal Transformation, because I wanted to talk about some of your other books as well. So you mentioned that those who shapeshift understand that all of life is energy. By focusing your intent, you can change energetic patterns, rendering a new form. So I have a two-part question. One of them is you please explain the concept of shape-shifting and also what are some of the forms that people listening can focus their attention on and changing in order to become stronger and become stronger warriors for the light and those who wish to become uh, make a significant difference in this world and bring peace
0: yes well thank you for bringing that up Um, you know, shapeshifting is a term that's used often to describe some of these phenomena that they hear about with indigenous people—shapeshifting into jaguars and so on and so forth. But it's also—it's about our, our—and and for us, much more importantly, it's about our our mental state. It's about our mindset. It's about our perceptions. How do we how do we shapeshift reality? How do we change reality by changing our perceptions? You know, an, an example is. Uh, Uh, I was recently on the phone with a friend who was just, who was hyperventilating, who was was going crazy uh, over uh, the virus, saying, you know, I I can't, I cannot self-isolate for another day, forget about another month or two or three months, what am I going to do? And I said, hey, uh, Sally, don't you remember that uh, uh, a number of months ago, before this all happened, you were telling me how much you wanted to learn to play the flute. You just bought a flute. Well, you got the flute. Now go online and, and spend some time, playing it, learning to play it, turn this into something positive. And someone else, I said, you know, you've always wanted to write a book. Here's a great opportunity. So if we can turn that perception around of, oh my God, I'm being restricted to being in my house. I can't go out and do the things I used to always do, but I don't have a job. Well, how do you turn that around to, to something positive? And I, I'm not trying to negate the terrible suffering that people are going through and the deaths and so on. I totally sympathize with that. I am saying though that as we, if we can change our perception and it, it, we can benefit ourselves. In the book, Touching the Jaguar at the end, I provide a, a, a little exercise that everybody can do for a little less than 10 minutes. You could do it every day, you could do it once a week, but it really, it, it goes into exactly what you're suggesting. It, it, and it, it's, based, it's based on answering first, answering five questions. And be happy to share those with you if we have time to do that. Absolutely. So, and I think this goes along with with your question. The first question you ask yourself, and again, this leads up to this 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 seven or eight minute practice. But but you start by asking yourself, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? What will bring me the greatest happiness, the greatest satisfaction? And I would answer that question. I want to write. I love to write. so I I want to write for the rest of my life. I have a friend who's a carpenter who tells me I want to work with my hands and wood for the rest of my life. The second question is, how do you use this to help other people? Because the fact of the matter is we're all happier when we help somebody else. Maybe it's one other person. Maybe it's the world. And my answer as a writer would be I want to write stories that will inspire people to change their lives, to make their lives better and to make a better world. And my carpenter friend would say, I want to use sustainable materials. And the third question is, what's holding you back? And that's where the jaguar, so this idea of a jaguar is, is, is the jaguar is, is, a, is a barrier, a blockage that holds us back. And when we touch that barrier, when we confront it, when we face it, it, it answers our questions. It gives us the answers that allow us to move forward. So what are our jaguars? That's the third question. What's holding you back? And as a writer, I might say, well, I just don't have time to write every day. And my carpenter friend would say, well, my my clients don't want to pay the extra price for sustainable materials. And the fourth question is, when you touch that jaguar, when you confront that that fear, uh, how does it change your perception that then changes the reality? As a writer, I would say, well, wait, I could get up half an hour earlier every morning, or I could watch an hour less of television every night or three nights a week and write. And my Carpenter friend would say, well, when I touch that Jaguar, it tells me to tell my clients the additional price of sustainable materials isn't a cost. It's an investment in the future. You're investing in your future and your kid's future by using sustainable materials. And then the fifth question is, what actions do I take every day to make this happen? Well, as a write or I write every day or almost every day. And, and my carpenter friend goes out and and build things, and he, and, he, and he talks about it. He doesn't have to write a book about it, but he says, you know, hey, look, kids, I just built this cabin or this house for you, your mom and dad and, and and you as a family, and I use sustainable materials. And so your parents were willing to invest in your future just as an education would invest in your future, so by using sustainable materials. And so if we all run through, we answer these five questions, and then each day we, 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 we review them or, or a couple of times a week, just go through them and look at what do we, what do I do today to make this happen? Uh, how do I move forward as a writer? What do I write today? What do I write about? What's holding me back from, from writing? What do I do? And so on and so forth. And in that way, each one of us can can do as as you talked about. We can shape shift our own lives, and and really do what we really, really want to most do in our lives. So it will bring us the greatest happiness, as Joseph Campbell said, the, the greatest bliss.
1: Awesome, and. Do you find that if a person were to, let's say, for example, also want to make significant change, could they focus their attention as a point of attraction of a prime being known as source? Let's say, for example, we have one prime being known as source, we are all imaginations or mental characters created within that one source consciousness. If we were to focus our point of attraction on... one of the elites or one of the individuals who would be considered to be a a negative uh, part of humanity, if we were to focus our attention on them, place our energy upon them and change and try to visualize a shift in consciousness or a shift in their heart, would that be just as effective or would that have any difference whatsoever in transforming the CF consciousness overall? Is that something that people should particularly work on? I mean, not to say that you're infringing upon their will, but you are maybe you're just providing energy or providing a suggestive change for the better for that person. I don't know if that's something that is uh, capable of do- that you're capable of doing, or if that violates an individual's sovereignty, even if they wish to be evil. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. I, I, I do
0: know that, that there's been a lot of studies that show that prayer. And and mass prayer and mass focusing on things does create change. It can help when you get a whole bunch of people together to to send prayers to someone who's sick. It it, it can help that person turn things around. Uh, The shamans that I've worked and studied with over the years would would tell you that you really need to focus on, on yourself. And so if you want to change somebody else, how do you change yourself in a way how, you know how do you how do you change your own perceptions in a way that help you to act in ways that will inspire encourage empower that person to change so here's a concrete example so if I want to get a, a corporation let's say Nike I want to get Nike to pay its workers in Indonesia a living wage so, I could focus, I could try to get to get a whole bunch of people to focus their energy on Mark Parker, the president of Nike, or Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Or I could personally start, start a consumer campaign where I write letters and get all my net social networking friends and circles and all to, to, to get their, all their networking circles and so on and so forth to write a letter to Nike saying, Hey, I love your products. I'm not going to buy them anymore until you pay your workers in Indonesia a fair wage. You can do the same for you know oil companies that are leaking oil or destroying the Amazon or whatever. And in a way, that's doing what you I think you're suggesting. But it's not just focusing energy mentally. It's all it is doing that because when we t- t- do this process, we're focusing our mental energy, but we're also taking some concrete actions that are sure to get the message across so that when somebody like Mark Parker, president of Nike, gets 100,000 of these messages, in fact, Mark Parker has said this. He told me this. So, uh, I, you know, I want my company to be greener, but, but if I lose a half a percentage of market share, I'll be fired and replaced by someone who cares about market share. So to get 100,000 of these messages, emails or posts or whatever in my hands I can take to my main investors like Phil Knight and, and say, Hey, these are our clients. We got to, we got to respond. Uh, I, so I think that's, that's doing what you're describing. It's, it's the prayers the focusing the energy, the, the mental capacity, and it's also using that mental capacity to take personal responsibility for taking some actions that'll help move that system along.
1: John, I really love freedom. I love it so much. I mean, I, I, I describe the, the, the passion I have. I just, I'd love to see more people have it. For some reason, I think that people have forgotten about how beautiful freedom is and I think they're getting so complacent because they're like, okay, well, you know, I can have other people decide for me and the technology is just doing all these decisions for me and I feel like we're barreling towards a global uh, tyranny and I think some people are really passionate about it but I also feel like other people aren't and I'm trying, John, to do whatever it takes to help people or provide information to people that want to stand and want to fight for the freedom. So, Based on your sensitivity, based on what you've come to know about the world, based on what you know about trends, where do you see the world headed towards? Do you think that there's going to be a tipping point where we'll either get to a point where, okay, well, we've crossed the line. We'll never have the same type of freedom we've had before, or we'll cross a line where there'll be too many people that have awakened, and there's no way we can have a global cascading tyrannical system. I'm just curious how you see things.
0: Well, I think we are at a monumental time in human history where, the, where exactly that 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 conflict is coming to a, a head. And you know, I had the good fortune as since Confessions of an Economic Hitman was published, and as you mentioned, it was you know sold several million copies, and and it's it's very it's in thirty seven languages now. It's it's very popular. So I've had the opportunity to speak at major conferences and all over the world, including you know, Russia and China and Kazakhstan as well as all over Europe and, and Latin America and the United States. And and everywhere I go, I see that people are waking up to the fact that we, we have to change, that the system we've created isn't working any longer. It, it gave us great benefits up until now, but it's, it's reached its peak. It's, it's, it's like peak oil, the idea of peak oil. We, we've reached the peak death economy system. We need to change but like any so there's a consciousness revolution a really awakening consciousness a revolution in consciousness but the, like any revolution when it gets started and when it gets when it gets enough energy there's a pushback by the status quo so those who feel that they benefit most from the system the really wealthy and powerful they want to stop the, the revolution and it's never known who's going to win who's going to lose but the real revolutionaries, the real agents of change, the people who really want to see change, the ones who are waking up, if they take energy from the pushback, like good martial artists, you know, you know, you don't try to overpower somebody who's a lot bigger and stronger than you. You use their energy against them. You turn it around. And the American Revolution actually was a great, you know, great lesson. In that, how the most powerful army in the history of the world at the time, the British army and the mercenary armies of East India Company, were defeated by a handful of, you know, hunters and and fishermen, basically farmers, uh, because they they turned it around. They stayed in there, they hung in there, and used the energy against them. So I think we're at this time in history right now, Ryan, where where these two forces are confronting each other, but the forces that understand that we must change and we want to change. And we want to preserve our freedom. Hey, I come from New Hampshire and our state motto is live free or die. I grew up with that.
1: Love it. Love you know?
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like you, I totally believe in, in freedom. And I think that's what the United States stands for uh, in our principles. And so, so we, we need to take energy from the fact that there is this incredible pushback by those who don't want to see change. We take energy from that and we keep moving forward to change. And we know that we're in this process and it's a global movement. If we can just begin to understand that all people around the world are trying to end this together, you know, the, the, the climate's changing everywhere. Uh, the polar bears are dying, and so and so are the kangaroos. You know, it's like it's all it's all over. And 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 if we can come together as as the people that know that we must change and stand up to those forces that are trying to prevent, that are trying to hold us back, and we will win. But uh, we, we're going to have to
1: do it. I'd love to do it. And if you're looking at... Um, I'm seeing right now in the world the controls getting tighter. Like I think that the lockdowns are part of the state trying to show what it's capable of, trying to basically show how... how look at look, look what we can do. And they're, they're forcing people. To, they're going to try to force people to get vaccinations. And they're going to force all this stuff. And I wonder if it's because... And they're trying to censor a lot of things. I mean, they're censoring a lot of things on YouTube and a lot of these other things. So... I wonder if that is because they are afraid and they're pushing back against I guess that's cool. And at the same time, I'd like to know if you're looking at these control, uh, control mechanisms that are trying to clamp down on humanity, what do you think are, are their weak points? Is there any particular weak point to this uh, big system, this machine that is trying to suppress humanity? Is there anything that's weak about it? Does it generally fear an awaken populace? I mean, they could have all the advanced technology in the world. But do they fear an awakened populace? Do they have any weak points? And what do you think it would take for this machine to actually stop and uh, become dismantled?
0: Well, I think we have to. I, I think we're doing it. I think, I think, yeah, the weak point is consciousness, the awakening up. But I, but I also think in, in this business of live free or die and and, and, and freedom, that we I, that also, is, it's not free freedom from it's freedom for it's freedom from moving forward into what I, what we call a life economy it's moving it's freedom from the old death economy moving into a life economy that also means a lot of compassion uh, so you know I mean we, 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 this has come to a head with people who say well damn I was I, I was born in a free country this morning I'm not going to wear a mask well it's one thing to, 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 to be to be free to not wear a mask and get sick yourself but what about when you go out and you could be infecting other people? And I think one of the one of the big conflict points here is how do we relate to community? So in New Hampshire, when I grew up with the idea of live free or die, it wasn't just about me as an individual being free. It was about my whole culture being free from any kind of oppression, That the, the, the Nazis attempt to overtake the world. I, I was born at the end of World War Two. It was about exercising that freedom, which also often meant coming together. And we knew in New Hampshire, when you have a bad blizzard or something, you don't just worry about taking care of yourself, and you also worry about your neighbors. Does the old lady who lives next door and can't shovel herself out of this blizzard and doesn't have enough heat, can, can, what can we do about her? So I think we, I think we have to balance these things. It's, it's not just about individual freedom. It's to recognize that my individual freedom is also closely tied with your individual freedom, Ryan, and with all the whole community's individual, individual freedom. How do we, but how do we do that? And that's, that's a little tough because we, we've, I think we've, we've, we've grown up to be pretty selfish in many respects to look at it all as just being about me personally. But it, it, it is about me, but it's also about me in the larger society. Our, our economic system is a social system. It isn't really based on money. Money has a huge role in it. But it's really based on all these social contracts that we make with each other.
1: Thank you, John, I'd like to just ask you one final question. And that is, I'm really impressed with your life story, all the things you've accomplished. I would imagine that in the course of your life, you've experienced the dark side of your personality. You have this thing, you have this beautiful light side of your personality. And you like, seem like you have a, a peace with both sides. And you're kind of working together to bring about a wonderful change. So, curious. What was some of the major uh, major points in your evolution? Some of your biggest challenges? How did you reconcile with the man you were once were to the man you are today? And how have you merged in with that side of your past, with your current present, and how are you working together to bring about this change? Yeah, you know, I talk about this, Ryan. as
0: you know, both the New Confessions of an Economic Hitman and, and Touching the Jaguar, but. Uh, You know, there's there's a number of, uh, there were a number of pivotal points, but perhaps the the most pivotal one was, so when I was an economic hitman, I I did that for 10 years. And as I pointed out earlier, I was doing some pretty bad things, but I thought at the beginning that it was the right thing because we were taught in business school that if you, you know, if you invest all this money in these countries and make your own corporations plainly profitable, and you help a few rich people in the country, you're doing everybody good. I thought that at the beginning of that. When I began to see that that wasn't true, I didn't want to believe that it wasn't true because I was making a lot of money. I was traveling first class around the world. I grew up poor in New Hampshire. Suddenly I'm dining I'm and dining with presidents, I'm flying first class, staying in the best hotels. I didn't want to believe what I knew to be true. And, but, but, but my conscience kept getting to me. And then I would I took a vacation and I was in the Virgin Islands. I rented a little sailboat and one, one late one afternoon I, I rode the dinghy ashore and climbed up on this hill in Saint John, Virgin Islands, and 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 I am sitting in the ruins of this old sugar plantation. It was beautiful. It was surrounded by Bougainville, looking out at the sun setting over the caribbean, and it was idyllic. And I thought, man, this is beautiful. This place is beautiful. And then it occurred to me that that plantation was built on the bones of thousands of slaves. And then I had to think, well, this whole hemisphere is built on the bones of millions of slaves from Africa and also Native Americans. And then I had to say to myself, well, Perkins, you too are a slaver. You've been enslaving people in debt. It's different, but you've been enslaving countries. You've been doing this this really awful stuff. And at that moment i made the decision i wouldn't do it anymore and in fact i would devote the rest of my life to exposing that system and in fact i, I went back a couple of days later and I quit my job and i have tried to spend the rest of my <laughs> life you know exposing the system but the, the and that's just one example now, there's been a number of these points and that's about touching the jaguar i had to touch that jaguar i had to change my perception of what I was really doing and what I was thinking about myself and what I knew about myself. And once I did that, I started changing my actions. And when I changed my actions, I changed my reality. And I came to understand, man, back in those days, I was not happy. I was making a lot of money. I thought I was living the American dream, but I was also consuming a hell of a lot of alcohol and taking Valium almost every night when I was traveling through time zones and waking up in the morning and having to load myself with caffeine to make it through the day. And suddenly when I quit all this and got to writing about it, I don't make nearly as much money, but I am a lot happier.
1: Terrific. John Perkins, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Again, John's latest book is called Touching the Jaguar, Transformation, Fear into Action to Change Your Life in the World. It's an amazing book. It's got 52, I think, five-star reviews on Amazon. You can learn more about John by going to his website at johnperkins.org. And I just want to also want to point out to you that John's got a few other wonderful books called Secret History of the American Empire and another wonderful book called Shape Shifting Techniques for Global and Personal Transformation. We will post a link to his books. Mr. Perkins, it was a great honor. Thank you for your time and for your wisdom, sir.
0: Thank you so much, Ryan. You're welcome. And, and thank you for all you do for bringing all this information out to people. It's, it's marvelous. I love what you're
1: doing, and I deeply appreciate your work. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to our incredible guest, John Perkins, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues. It's Kerry O'Connor, Ms. Constance Dallas, Miss Lisa McGarity, and our associate producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at OuterLimitsRadio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.